This is episode 208 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, You're Just Not Prepared for What's Coming, Not Even Close, and The Skinny on Ham Radio, Getting Your License. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. And before we get started, you know the Prepper Website Podcast is on a ton of different podcast networks, and you can make sure that you get the podcast delivered directly to your device. And so uh, we make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast networks. Uh, so, but if you are listening on iTunes, we do appreciate your subscription and also uh, any reviews that you are uh, willing to leave for us. We, uh, we really appreciate those. Hey, uh, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I record the night before. So for the Friday podcast, I record it on Thursday night. And so uh, we just got finished with small group and, uh, you know, we went outside to kind of walk everybody out. And uh, it's it's snowing here in Houston. If you can if you can imagine, it's snowing in Houston, and so uh, that's kind of crazy. It's not it's not cold enough, or at least the ground is not cold enough for it to stick. But uh, you can see big snow snowflakes when you are uh, when the lights are on, and so you can kind of see them falling. So it's kind of cool. Uh, all over Facebook, I mean, people are like, you know, do you want to build a snowman and stuff? And, and uh, you know, no, we don't want to build a snowman. Uh, the, the crazy thing is that down here, people do not know how to drive. So if um, if that uh, the rain turns to sleet or the snow turns to sleet and, uh, you know, it freezes and we have patches of ice, just people don't know how to drive. And so you'll see a bunch of accidents and, and wrecks and things like that. So hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But, uh, you know, it is always cool because this is it's very, very rare that we see something like this. Uh, happening, you know, and again, like I said, the, the other day we were in shorts and t-shirts, so it's very, it's very crazy to uh, the the temperature swings over here. And then, of course, if you've got allergies and 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 you're dealing with that, I mean, people are, you know, are are always dealing with that. It seems like down here. So anyway, uh, excited about that. Hey, I uh, want to give a quick shout out to Brian Duff over at Mind for Survival. You know, he hit me up and said, Hey, Todd, love to to uh, you know, feature the Prepper Website podcast and Prepper Website on the uh, on the podcast. I'm doing a, a, a special Prepper gift idea, and so you know, do you have three or four ideas uh, or gifts that you would like to share? And uh, you know, I'll just you, you can record it, kind of send it over, and and uh, did that. He has us up there with a couple of other uh, podcasts uh, uh, and other Facebook groups and different things like that. Uh, I don't know them all, so I'm going to go, you know, look them up and and check them out a little bit because I'm always looking for other websites to to link on Prepper website and then link their articles and stuff like that. And you know, there's some that I just I I can't keep up with them. So if you ever find a a, a website that you know a preparedness website that I'm not linking to or you you don't see them on the list for whatever reason, just let me know because I, I want to be able to add them because I want to. I want to be able to feature, you know, all the all the great preparedness content out there, and so I just wanted to send a shout out to uh, to him. I'm going to link to the episode. Uh, I guess it's uh, episode 28, Prepper Gift Ideas, and uh, just you know, uh, he has me up there and w- along with some other people. So go check out his podcast and uh, the Prepper Gifts, and so maybe you'll get some ideas to uh, to give your your favorite prepper over there. So again, that's uh, Mind for Survival. Uh, thanks, Brian, on that one. All right, so jumping right into the podcast uh, or to the articles for this podcast, our first one comes to us from peakprosperity.com, and this article actually got a lot of play, a lot of uh, traffic on Prepper website, or at least I would say generated a lot of traffic to Peak Prosperity because it was, uh, you know, of course the the title kind of gets you, but then. Um, and sometimes you do have titles that really don't deliver, you know, but uh, this one does. You know, Chris Martinson and Adam uh, Taggart over there are, you know, they, they look at the economy, they look at resources, and uh, they've been kind of sounding the alarm for a long, long time. Uh, I really have been 
linking to Peak Prosperity articles and I've uh, been listening to the podcast for a long time. I, I don't always uh, listen to every single episode, but um, and I, that's pretty much for all podcasts. I mean, I, I'm looking at what uh, the show notes say and, and if the topics are interesting or, or if the person is on there, you know, somebody that I want to listen to and, uh, and do that because I have so many podcasts that I'm listening to, not just preparedness now, but um, he, uh, he's, a, he's an economist and he's talking about the, the economy and things that people aren't really thinking about. And uh, it, it really is coming from, uh, from a preparedness standpoint, but not even just preparedness as far as uh, physical items and, and skills and things like that, but the, the mental uh, capacity to be able to handle uh, if, we, if everything starts to tank, right? And so uh, I really thought this was, uh, again, like I, I saw the traffic that was, uh, you know, people that were clicking out of Prepper website going into Peak Prosperity and uh, thought that it was, you know, it would be a good one for, uh, for the podcast as well. So this isn't necessarily going to be like all the other podcasts or all the other ep- uh, articles that I read, right? I mean, it's not skill-based or information-based as far as that. But it, I think it's very, very important because he has a lot of uh, great, um, uh, great. He has a lot of great insights, uh, is what I'm trying to say in, in this article. And so, I hope you get as much from it as I did. Uh, it's always interesting when you read someone who has been, you know, part of the economy, part of the stock market, part, you know, people who are looking at all those trends and stuff like that. And somebody uh, of Chris Martinson's and Adam Taggart's, you know, their caliber. To, uh, to be talking about this. Now, there's going to be some charts here. They refer to the charts and, uh, you know, things like that. So you might want to come to this, um, to this article to check out uh, the, the links and the, the charts. But let's go ahead and jump right into this one. It's a little bit longer than, than most, but like I said, really, really good. All right, so here we go. I hate to break it to you, but chances are you're not prepared for what's coming. Not even close. Don't take it personally. I'm simply playing the odds. After spending more than a decade warning people all over the world about the futility of pursuing infinite exponential economic growth on a finite planet, I can tell you this. Very few are even aware of the nature of our predicament. An even smaller subset is either physically or financially ready for the sort of future barreling down on us. Even fewer are mentally prepared for it. And make no mistake, it's the mental and emotional preparation that matters the most. If you can't cope with adversity and uncertainty, you're going to be toast in the coming years. Those of us intending to persevere need to start by looking unflinchingly at the data and then allowing time to let it sink in. Change is coming, which isn't a problem in of itself, but its pace is likely to be. Rapid change is difficult for humans to process. Those frightened by today's overinflated asset prices fear how quickly the current bubbles throughout our financial markets will deflate or implode. Who knows when they'll pop? What will the eventual triggers be? All we know for sure is that every bubble in history inevitably found its pen. These bubbles, blown by central bankers serially addicted to creating them and then writing to the rescue to fix them, are the largest in all of history. That means they're going to be the most destructive in history when they finally let go. Millions of households will lose trillions of dollars in net worth. Jobs will evaporate, causing the tens of millions of families living paycheck to paycheck serious harm. These are the kind of painful consequences central bank follies result in. They're particularly regrettable because they could have been completely avoided if only we'd taken our medicine during the last crisis back in 2008. But we didn't. We let the Federal Reserve, the institution largely responsible for creating the great financial crisis, conspire with its brethren central banks to paper over our problems. So now we are at the apex of the most incredible nest of financial bubbles in all of human history. One of my favorite charts is below, which shows that even the smartest minds among us, Sir Isaac Newton in this case, can succumb to the mania of a bubble. And so uh, there's a, a chart here, I guess, from the 1700s uh, and talking about how Newton, Newton's fortune fell to earth uh, and uh, South Sea Company share prices. 
and so you see the uh, the graph here going up and uh, where New Newton exits broke so anyway interesting uh, interesting graph there it's enormously difficult to resist the social pressure to become involved but all bubbles burst painfully of course that's their very nature mathematically it's impossible for half or more of the bubbles participants to close out their positions for a gain but in reality it's even worse being generous maybe 10 percent manage to get out on time that means the remaining 90 percent don't for these bag holders the losses will range from painful to financially fatal which brings us to the conclusion that a similar proportion of people will be emotionally unprepared for the bursting of these bubbles again playing the odds I'm talking about you how exponentials work against you bubbles are destructive in the same manner as ocean waves their force is not linear but exponential that means that a wave's energy increases as the square of its height a four-foot wave has 16 times the force of a one-foot wave something any surfer knows from experience a one-foot wave will nudge you a four-foot wave will smash you filling your bathing suit and various body orifices with sand and shells a 10-foot wave has 100 times more destructive power it can kill you if it manages to pin you against something solid a small localized bubble such as one only affecting tulip investors in Holland or a relatively small number of speculators caught up in buying swampland in Florida will have a small impact consider those one-foot waves a large bubble inflating an entire nation's real estate market will be far more destructive like the US in 2007 or like Australia and Canada today those bubbles were or will be when they burst four-foot waves the current nest of global bubbles in nearly every financial asset stocks bonds real estate fine art collectibles etc is entirely without precedent how big are these in waves terms are they a series of eight-foot waves or more like 12-footers at this magnitude level it doesn't really matter they're going to be very very destructive when they break our focus now needs to be figuring out how to avoid getting pinned to the coral reef below when they go understanding real wealth in order to fully understand this story we have to start right at the beginning and ask what is wealth most would answer this by saying money and then maybe add stocks and bonds but those aren't actually wealth all financial assets are just claims on real wealth not actually wealth itself a pile of money has use and utility because you can buy stuff with it but real wealth is the stuff food clothes land oil and so forth if you couldn't buy anything with your money stocks and bonds their worth would revert to the value of the paper they're printed on if you're lucky enough to hold an actual certificate it's that simple which means that keeping a tight relationship between real worth and I'm sorry real wealth and the claims on it should be job number one of any central bank but not the Fed apparently it has increased the number of claims by a mind-boggling amount over the past several years same with the BOJ or the Bank of Japan and the ECB and the other major central banks around the world they've embarked on a very different course one that has disrupted the long-standing relationship between the mar markers of wealth and real wealth itself they are aided and abetted by both the media and our educational institutions which reinforce the idea that the claims on wealth are the same as real wealth itself it's a handy system of course as long as everyone believes it it has proved a great system for keeping the poor people poor and the rich people rich but trouble begins when the systems get seriously out of whack people begin to question why their money has any value at all if the central banks can just print up as much as they want anytime they want and hand it out for free in unlimited quantities to the banks who have their own mechanisms fractional reserve bankings for, for creating even more money out of thin air pretty slick right convince everyone that something you literally make in unlimited quantities out of thin air has value so much so that if you lack it you end up living under a bridge starving let's express this visually GDP is a measure of the amount of goods and services available and financial asset prices represents the claim 
It's not a very accurate measure of real wealth, but it's the best one we've got, so we'll use it. Look at how divergent asset prices get from GDP as bubbles develop. And so there is this, uh, this cool little chart here. And again, I, I think you should go see it because you see these, um, these one foot, two foot, four foot waves that he was talking about. Uh, you kind of see where the, the bubbles are compared to, uh, to, to GDP and, and where they're at. So, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting that you, you see it diverging so, uh, so much. What we see in the above chart is the claims of the, on the economy should, quite intuitively, track the economy itself. Bubbles occurred whenever the claims on the economy, the so-called financial assets, stocks, bonds, and derivatives, get too far ahead of the economy itself. This is a very important point. The claims on the economy are just that, claims. They are not the economy itself. Yes, the dot-com crash hurt, but that was the equivalent of a one-foot wave. Yes, the housing bubble hurt, and that was a two-foot wave. The current bubble is vastly larger than the prior two and is the four-foot wave in our analogy, if we're lucky. It might turn out to be a ten-footer. The mystery to me is how people have forgotten the lessons of prior bubbles so rapidly, how they cannot see the current bubbles even as the data is right there and so easy to come by. I suppose the mania of a bubble, the high of easy returns, just makes people blindly to reality, or blind to reality. It used to take a generation or longer to forget the painful lessons of a bubble. The victims had to age and die off before a future generation could repeat the mistakes anew. But now, we have the same generation repeating the same mistakes three times in less than 20 years. Go figure. In this story, wishful thinking and self-delusion have harmful consequences. It's no different than taking up a lifelong habit of chain-smoking as a young teen. Sure, you may be one of the few who live a long, full life in spite of the risk, but the odds are definitely not in your favor. The inevitable destruction caused by the current froth of bubbles is going to hurt a lot of people, institutions, pensions, industries, and countries. Nobody will be spared when these, bu when these burst. The only question left to be answered is, who's going to eat the losses? This is not a future question for a future time. It's one that's being answered daily already. Pensioners are already taking cuts. Puerto Rico will not be fully rebuilt. Shell wells drilled when oil was $100 a barrel, but being drained empty at $50 a barrel represent capital already hopelessly betrayed. Young graduates with $100,000 of student debt face lost decades of capital building. The losers are already emerging. And there's more, many more to follow. The story is much closer to the beginning than the end. The bubbles have yet to burst. We're just seeing the water at the shore's edge beginning to retreat, wondering how large the wave will be when it arrives, hoping that it's not a monstrous tsunami. The end is nigh. History's largest bubbles have had the exact same root cause, an expansion of credit that causes leverage to go up faster than the income available to service it. Simply put, bubbles exist when asset price inflation rises beyond what incomes can sustain. They are everywhere and always a credit-fueled phenomenon. Look at the ridiculous trajectory of the S&P 500, especially since Trump got elected. I don't know about you, but pretty much everything that has happened in the U.S. over the past year has been either a diplomatic clown show or a financial cruelty to the average citizen, and yet prices have risen at their highest pace in two decades. My view is that the Trump election was a totally unexpected black swan shock for the global central banking cartel, and it freaked out. With the Dow, with the Dow down 1,000 points, in the late night hours following Trump's surprise win, the central banks dumped gobs and oodles of money into the equity markets to prevent carnage. All that money calmed investors and sent prices roaring higher over the following months. The resulting 80-degree rocket launch will hurt a lot when it comes back to Earth. Going, good going, central banks. This is all happening when we're as close as ever to a military, if not nuclear, confrontation with North Korea. 
Russia is busy beefing up its war machine. Saudi Arabia has pivoted away from the U.S. towards China and Russia. And most of our European allies are inching away from us. Meanwhile, the FCC is about to rule against the vast majority of the public and allows U.S. corporations to turn the Internet into a pay-to-play toll road, completely undermining the core principle of the most transformative and useful invention of the millennium. By eliminating net neutrality, the FCC has ruled against you and for the continued usurious profits of the cable companies. Worse, health care premiums continue to increase by double digits each year. They're going up by a horrifying 45% in Florida and 57% in Georgia, to name just two unfortunate states out of many. And guys, um, let me just take a, just a quick little break here. That's what I've been talking about um, the uh, you know the medical costs and how expensive they're going and at some point it might be out of reach for a lot of us and that's why I talk about alternative medicines and essential oils and herbs and and all that kind of stuff uh, that it's important to kind of know now um, you know sometimes I'm sure people are like man Todd really do you hit that so much um, but uh, being an herbalist or, or looking into that uh, in fact I think if I'm not mistaken, Jack Spirko had a, uh, I haven't listened to it, but I downloaded it. I uh, had a recent episode on, on uh, herbalism or getting started as an herbalist. Okay, so uh, I did, I hit pause, I hit pause on, uh, on my recording to go check out the Survival Podcast. And yeah, episode 2125, uh, getting started with herbalism. And like I said, I haven't really, uh, I really haven't, uh, listen to it yet so I can't give specific information but uh, you know Jack has been he's talked about this before in the past so uh, he, he knows a little bit about this so it might be a good idea to go listen to that one episode 2125 of the survival podcast and again I'm sure people like Todd really you're talking about another podcast on your podcast I mean they're like competition I'm like no nah, you know they're it's it's more along the lines is I'm trying to give information out there so people will be prepared and, uh, and and out there so hopefully people who are listening will, will say hey Todd provides some great resources out there and so that's why I talk about other podcasts that you can listen to and uh, if, if they're great information and, and I've said that before one of the reasons why I never started a podcast uh, you know I hadn't started one was because I knew I couldn't do something like out Jack Spirko Jack Spirko right um, and so there's there's no way that I was going to try to do that at all. But it was when I came up with the idea of hey, you know what, a, a, a podcast that is audible versions of articles that we've been posting on Prepper website. That was something that nobody else was doing. So I'm like, you know what, I that's that's a different take on it. So that's why that's why the podcast started. So I have no problem, you know, talking about you know Brian Duff over at Mind for Survival, Jack Spirko, you know, talking about Dale and Lisa and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and and so uh, yeah, you know, the more the more information you're putting inside of your brain, uh, the better prepared you're going to be. I mean, just we want to make sure that we are also uh, you know practicing those skills. But uh, anyway, going back to this, uh, you know, going back to the article, um, you know, this is one of the things, one of the reasons why I keep talking about, uh, you know, alternative medicines and, you, you know, you got to be thinking about this kind of stuff because if there might be a day where it's just so, uh, you know, so expensive to go to the clinic or go to, you know, go to the doctor that you won't be able to, uh, you know, to, to go like you have been uh, used to in the past. All right, so let's go ahead and continue reading. And to really rub salt in the wounds of the nation, the D.C. swamp is busy passing a tax change that will further drive an enormous gap between the 0.1% and everybody else by lowering taxes on corporate profits, already the lowest in the world if you measure both tax on profits and value-added taxes. How to pay for the massive cost of this deficit-exploding bill? Easy. Just eliminate deductions for average people, such as the state and local tax deductions, and begin taxing the waived tuition of graduate students. That's right. The government helped to massively bloat tuition fees via massive lending to students and then wants to squeeze the poorest and hardest working among them. I wish I were kidding here, but like a cruel joke retold at the wrong moment, the GOP is busy destroying the meager and precarious financial situation of our citizens just so we can toss a few more dollars into the already bloated wallets of the richest people in the country. 
The long rise of the ultra-wealthy is not some mystery. It arose as a predictable consequence of the financialization of, well, everything that began in the 1980s. And there's another chart here that you can take a look at. The above chart speaks to a deeply unfair system that punishes hardworking people in order to give more to those who merely shuffle financial instruments around or own financial assets. This is the system that the Fed is working so hard to preserve. This is the system that Washington, D.C. is working so hard to sustain. It's flat-out unfair and punitive. It, it both punishes and rewards the wrong folks, respectively. Debtors are provided relief while savers are punished. The young are saddled with debts and face impossible cost of living mainly to preserve the illusion of wealth for a little longer for the generation in front of them. For so many reasons, folks, none of this is sustainable. If the system doesn't crash first under the weight of its excessive debts or the puncturing of its many asset price bubbles, the brewing class and generational wars will boil over if the status quo trajectory continues for much longer. In part two, when the bubble bursts, we detail what to expect as the unraveling starts. When these bubbles burst, as they inevitably must, the aftermath is going to be especially ugly. Understand the likely path the carnage is going to take and position yourself wisely ahead of the crisis so that you and those you care about can weather the turmoil as safely as possible. Remember, the role of a bubble market is to injure as many people as badly as possible when they burst. Don't be one of the victims. So that part two, unfortunately, um, uh, unfortunately for us, fortunately for Chris and, and, and Adam over at Peak Prosperity, um, that's part of their uh, enrollment process. So if you are part of their, uh, you know, part of the Peak Prosperity membership, then you have access to that. Um, I'm not, so I don't have access to it, so I can't read it for you. Um, I don't know if I would have permission to read it for you, even if I did. But uh, it would be interesting. I would love to read that article there uh, and uh, you know give that information to you of, of what they believe it's going to look like. I mean, I think you know, those kind of articles are always um, very popular on Prepper websites. So I know that it would be a popular one uh, for other people to, to want to listen to as well. But uh, man, th this is one of those that are kind of scary, right? If you are... You know, if you're a parent, if you have kids that are, you know, I've got high school and college age kids, you know, even if you have a little bit younger kids, um, you know, you're, you're like, what kind, of, what kind of future are they going to have? I mean, how bad is it going to be? I mean, if, are we going into a slow, uh, a slow spiral? That might be, like he said in, in the article, that might be a little bit easier to take. But if we're going into this fast, rapid change, man, you really have to have your head screwed on right. And you have to be kind of almost looking for it because if not, it's going to slap you in the face and you're going to be so unaware that you're not going to be able to, um, to, you know, to, to, to function, right? And uh, so we always talk about being prepared and being aware and being on the lookout. And so hopefully when we look out towards the future and what's happening we can see long term we can see short or we can see short term and we can prepare long term right so you're you're looking at the financial situation is starting to go south you can you know you have some kind of idea some plans maybe in the back of your head um you know maybe you have even more extensive plans written down of what you're doing and how you're going to respond and you're paying attention to all the other things you know that that are happening for instance, one of the things that I, I just plan on, and, and you know, I am, I, I'm in education, right? Uh, and so I know that you know, teacher retirement, that's a big deal. Teachers work their, their amount of years, and then they retire. And then that, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more of that. And especially uh, the stupider that we have standardized testing and things like that, the more people and the crazier that it gets from the state, the, the people that are older is like, man, I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm retiring, right? I'm taking my money. I'm riding off to the sunset and, uh, and, and going that way. So we're seeing more and more people do that. I mean, there's some people that are hanging on a little bit longer because, you know, they have kids in college or they're paying off debts or whatever. But it's like the people that can retire are retiring. However, I feel that there's not going to be anything there for me by the time I get to that age. I mean, I, you know, in the back of my mind, 
I'm like, I'm never retiring. I'm going to be working until the day that I die, right? Unless they force me out or whatever, or hopefully by that time, you know, I have another side hustle that I'm doing, or, you know, uh, maybe I go take prepper website, like, you know, like my full-time job. I mean, I, I don't know, but um, I, I don't plan on ever retiring, right, uh, in, in education. I'm going to just kind of continue on and, uh, and go because, one, one, I don't think that there's going to be anything there for me. And uh, two, I don't know if financially you're going to be able to, to, to do that. You know, I think the generation that's retiring right now, I think they're the last generation that's really going to be able to um, have a, a quote unquote retirement where, you know, they're, they're not really working anymore and those kinds of things. And so, you know, uh, my, my dad's generation, the boomer generation and, and those that are a little bit older in the boomer generation, the younger boomers. Uh, might get to the point where you know they're struggling, and and even at that, you know, there's people that are retiring and they don't have uh, you know a whole whole lot, and uh, you know they are struggling um, to, to as things go, as inflation kicks in, as prices get uh, you know higher, and you know, we've talked about that before on the podcast where you go to the grocery store and like you buy a few things and you're out of there for a hundred dollars. I'm like, what the heck? Well, you know, I, I used to be able to buy a whole, you know, cart full of groceries for a hundred dollars and now I'm coming out with two bags. And, uh, so I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's crazy out there, but we can already see the signs. I love the fact that he's saying, Hey, it's already kind of collapsing already. You know, you already see these things kind of happening already. You know, pensioners are taking cuts already. Uh, you know, we, we hear about that, you know, often and sometimes we don't, I, we don't always hear about it as well. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of things that are going on that we're not getting from the mainstream media because the mainstream media is just like covering for, you know, whatever is going on. Uh, and Chris, uh, Chris alluded to that as well here in this article. So, you know, you got to start thinking about what, what are we, what are, what are you going to do from here? Um, we, we talk about doing or, or going into a slow decline. A lot of people in the preparedness community have said that. Sometimes I wonder if we say that just to kind of protect, uh, protect ourselves from, uh, from what people would think out there. Um, I, I believe that, yeah, I be we've been in a slow decline. And not that it's going to be a slow decline. We have already been in a slow decline. And, and Chris has kind of already kind of pointed that out in this article. But do you see the possibility of a rapid decline, of something happening? And the thing is, is that one little thing sets something off and it has a chain reaction of, of you know, all kinds of other things going off. You know, we talk about like a pandemic. Okay, so we pandemic and, and everything else is, is okay, right? Our financial markets are okay or whatever. Uh, but no, a pandemic is going to affect all of that. We talk about maybe, you know, the lights going out, you know, and so we had the lights go out for whatever reason, the grid goes down, but, you know, everything else is kind of still intact. Well, no, that's, that's really not the way that it would play out. Or we have, you know, a, a big military confrontation, uh, you know, one on a global scale, uh, and we believe, okay, all that's going to happen over there somewhere else, and it's not going to happen, you know, here in the United States or in North America. But it does, it, we're so intertwined now that it is going to affect us in one way or the other. And so all these things kind of up in the air that, you know, uh, Chris was talking about here at the very, very end. There's so many things up in the, in the air. And then just since this article was written on December 1st, I mean, we have the thing with Trump. Uh, Trump, you know, recognizes J Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And so you have the whole Muslim uh, you know, the whole Muslim uh, world kind of in an uproar about that. And so, you know, can't, we'll see if that, you know, brings anything there. And so there's always something. There's always something that's going on. That's, that's what's crazy about it all. So um, that's why we stay prepped. That's why we stay aware, you know. Uh, and, and that's why we are prepared. Um, but I, I would encourage you, like, if you saw things happening at a fast pace, do you have plans? You know, what, what would you do there? And I really would love to, uh, you know, get my hands on that second, that second part there. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll hit up Adam or Chris and see if, uh, 
if we can get a sneak peek at that or something we'll uh we'll see but anyway uh that's over at peakprosperity.com uh i link to the article in the show notes like always go check it out check out the the graphs and then there's links here and then of course there's comments that people have left uh you know that you can you can go check those out and uh you know they're they're always going to be of a more like an economic uh coming from an economic standpoint uh, here at this here at this blog so uh, go check that out peakprosperity.com all right so on the friday podcast i always uh do an article from the archives and i normally go to the facebook group i'm like all right guys what do y'all think is a good topic um, but two weeks ago, I guess, um, I asked a question. So I got a, a, some pretty good, a good list of topics. And one of the topics was uh, ham radio, getting a ham radio license. So I went into the archives of, uh, of Prepper website and I found an article from 2012, man. I mean, this is like, gosh, it's old, <laughs> right? Um, so like uh, January, January 2012. I mean, that's the first comment here. Uh, that I can see. I don't think the article itself has. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, January 2012. And uh, so you know, it's a good article here. And uh, one of those things that you should consider getting, you know, a, a ham radio and being able to communicate. Because if things uh, go south, uh, having a ham radio would be very, very valuable to be able to have uh, information and know what's going on out there in the world. And there's many people out there that take ham radio very seriously and uh, do take the, you know, if there ever was a situation going down where, where information needed to be relayed, then, uh, you know, you would have a whole network across the country, across the world, actually, you know, sharing information out. So let's go ahead and talk about this uh, article. Um, the article is entitled The Skinny on a Ham Radio Getting Licensed. It's going to give us a lot of information uh, and, uh, I, you know, so if you are interested in getting a ham uh, radio license or you are, uh, maybe you, you're not even sure, you might find it like, hey, this is kind of easy. This might be worth it, uh, something to do. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward. A lot of preppers are talking about ham radio as a communication system during and after an SHTF event. The ability to listen and even talk with people vast distances away in real time is a powerful tool. For a very long time, I've wanted to get an amateur radio license or a ham. For one reason or another, I never undertook the study and the test. Until now, I have just passed my technician's license exam as of writing this. While it will, will still be a couple of weeks before I get my official station call sign, I'm very excited and already preparing for the next step of licensing. In this article, I will walk you through the details of exactly how to get your first ham radio license. It isn't a hard process, but can be a bit confusing, and I didn't find any one source that clearly listed it all. The historical background. Amateur ham radio is considered to have started when Guglielmo Marconi sent the first wireless transmission across the Atlantic in 1901 from his self-made radio station on Cape Cod. Every year a memorial event is still held at the location on the cap. The U.S. government issued the first amateur radio license in 1912. At the time, ham radio was just using Morse code, but by the 1920s, voice was, was added. After World War II, ham radio grew even more popular, resulting in the formation of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, to regulate the ever-growing demand for radio frequencies between commercial, news, government and amateur radio users. In 1961, the first ham radio satellite named Oscar One, orbiting satellite carrying amateur radio, was launched. And by the 1970s, a system of repeater transmitters began to dot the landscape. In the 1980s and 1990s, data transmission via ham radio also became popular. Today's internet, GPS, and even VoIP, or voice over internet protocol, is possible. As much as ham radio is for personal non-commercial use, hams have also played a vital role in disaster communications assisting government and other rescue relief efforts. Amateur Radio Emergency Services, or ARES, and Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Services, RACES, are two of the organizations that assist in disasters. 
Several organizations have been formed to help promote amateur radio and help people get licensed. The American Radio Relay League, or ARRL, is the best known, and there are hundreds if not thousands of local ham radio clubs all over the country and the world. Even though it's called amateur radio, there's nothing amateur about it. The only requirement is that you can't be paid for your radio use, nor transmit or retransmit commercial broadcasts. Otherwise, the licensing and regulations, technology, science, and capabilities are nearly the same as any commercial radio station. So who can be a ham? There are few restrictions on who can be licensed as a ham by the FCC. You have to be an American citizen, there are provisions for resident aliens, and you have to have a functioning ability with the English language as that's what the licensing exams are given in and is the common language used on the radio worldwide. Other than that, nothing else. No age restriction, no background check, no experience or education requirement, etc. Realistically, however, you will have a much easier time of understanding the material and the technology if you already have some minimal measure of knowledge related to hobby-level electronics and circuits. Also, if you have been a CB radio enthusiast at some point in life, that will help too, although ham and CB are more different than similar, a topic for another article. Last, brush up on your, on your basic high school level algebra. So ham license categories. At the time of this writing, the FCC issues three level classes of amateur radio license from initial, from initial to highest. They're technician, general, amateur, extra, also referred to as just extra. People who hold unexpired older classes of license are still valid and have been grandfathered into the privileges surrounding one of these new three classes. Basically, the fundamental differences between the classes is the range of bands and frequencies you are allowed to use and the power levels you are allowed to transmit at. Technician is all VHF and UHF privileges and some HF privileges, mostly using Morse code. General, all VHF and UHF privileges, most, most HF privileges, more HF voice frequencies. And amateur extra, all amateur frequency privileges, all voice, Morse, and data frequencies. There are good color diagrams online. You can print that visualize the bands and frequency privileges for each level of licensing that make it much easier to understand the differences. All classes will definitely get you on the air and give you a good range of popular frequencies in the common communication modes. Phone, digital, data, radio teletype, single sideband, image, and CW or Morse code. You can even try to communicate with the International Space, St Space Station. There is an amateur station aboard the ISS and licensed astronauts do monitor it from time to time depending on the crew. The main licensing difference is that as you move up to scale of licenses, the, ranges, the range of HF frequencies and bands available for use increases greatly. Also, you are expected to know more electrical circuit construction and operation, antenna design, and band frequency details. The exams become more technical and mathematical. Most hams seem to try for at least the general level. The extra level is as much about learning more and most complete access privileges, as well as for bragging rights. As of writing this, each licensing exam for each category consists as follows. The technician is 35 questions, get 26 right is passing. The general, 35 questions, 26 right is passing. And amateur extra, 50, 37 right is passing. Getting licensed for ham radio. This part is pretty simple. Study the material, pass the exam, and get on the radio, but the devil is in the details. There is no single source for licensing exam study materials. Many places publish study manuals for the exams. I use the one published by the ARRL itself, available from their website, Amazon, and many ham clubs. The book includes all the material, is well organized I think, and it has a pool of exam questions for practice including a CD-ROM version, but there are other publishers of study guides, including a dummies book. These books are self-study and you take the exam when you feel you're ready for it. There are also several online sources for information, including practice exams and online self-study. I especially recommend the online sample exams if you haven't used the ARRL preparation book. Most ham radio clubs offer classes leading up to the exam. Often the class is free though, you, free though you pay for the study materials. Also, some libraries and community colleges offer a study class, usually for a fee. I am very comfortable doing self-study, but the choice is yours. 
I also attended some classes and was able to see examples and demonstrations of various ham devices, technologies, and procedures you don't get from self-study, which is best, best all depends on you. Is Morse code needed? Back when I was a youngster, amateur radio operators were required to learn Morse code, as well as other technical information. The licensing exam, including being, including being able to understand a message sent in Morse. As you moved up the licensing classes, you were expected to grow in Morse proficiency. I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but some years ago, the FCC created a new class of ham license that didn't require knowing Morse and beginning in February 2007, the FCC no longer requires Morse code for any of the three classes of amateur licensing. Many good long-distance con contacts can be made using Morse code at low power levels. So while Morse is no longer a requirement, it is a very good idea to learn it. There are several software packages that will convert Morse into alphanumeric characters on a screen and will allow you to type a message on a keyboard then convert it to Morse for transmission. While this is good technology, my recommendation is that you learn it the old-fashioned way of DAWs and DITs too. At some point in life, you may not have access to a computer and need to send or receive a Morse code message. There are many books and programs as well as websites often free to help you learn. So what's on the licensing exam? The exam itself is multiple choice questions and there's a very interesting aspect of this examination process you actually get to see all the questions you might be asked in advance. As of writing this article, the question pool for the technician license consists of 394 multiple choice questions covering a wide range of what they call a sub-elements including electrical principles, electrical components, operating modes, radio waves, station equipment, FCC regulations, safety, etc. The exam selects a certain number of questions randomly from these sub-elements. The exam is given on paper, so each copy of the exam contains a different set of random questions. You could try to just memorize the answers to the questions, but you would just be cheating yourself. While the questions and answers on the exam will be what you practice with, they may change the order of the answers. Besides, you will need to know the material to be an effective ham operator. The general and extra license exams work the same way, but with different sub-elements. So finding where and when to take the exam. When you feel you're ready to take the licensing exam, you have to find where and when it's being given. In the past, examinees had to go to an FCC office to take the exam. Fortunately, today the exam is given locally, often at several locations around your area. Throughout the country, there are volunteer examiner coordinator VEC groups. These groups are approved by the FCC to train and certify local volunteer examiners, or VE, fellow ham operators of the either general or extra license class, to administer the licensing exams. If you are taking a study course at a ham club, chances are the club has at least one VE who will administer the exam at the end of the course, but you aren't required to be part of a club to take the exam, or even you, are, you can take the exam anywhere. The easiest way, I think, to find out where and when exams are given is to go to the ARRL website and under Licensing, Education, and Training, click on the link for Find an Exam Session. There you can search by location and or date range for whether exams are given, usually every month. When you do find a location for taking the exam, I suggest contacting the VE. Most VEs can be contacted via email listed to confirm. The exam date and time, the exact address, if pre-registration is required, if it says walk-ins allowed, usually there is no need for pre-registration, but check anyway. Any specific things you need to bring. Be sure to arrive on time. The exam will be graded right there when you are done. So what to bring with you to the exam? Taking the exam is a pretty straightforward process. Check with the VE to see if you need anything else, but in most cases, all you need to bring to the exam is a government-issued photo ID, like a driver's license, state ID, passport, military ID, etc. Note, upgrade exams require two forms of ID and a copy of your current amateur license your social security number or TIN or FRN if you have it, see below, some number two pencils, they may have them there but bring a few anyways, a ca calculator capable of doing log mathematics like a scientific calculator, though some non-scientific ones can also do log, and the exam fee, cash is preferred. 
To point number two, some people have privacy concerns and not without good reason. Before you take the exam, you can go to the FCC's universal licensing system um, and register there. The ARRL website has a guide to registration. Once registered, you will be mailed your federal registration number or FRN. You can use your FRN instead of your social security number for the exam and all other documents and forms related to your amateur radio license. The ULS also allows you to maintain your licenses such as change your address and renewing your licenses. This pre-registration is optional, however. If you choose not to register, the FCC will issue you a FRN when your license is issued. To point number five, as of writing this, the exam fee is $15 per person. Per session, sorry. Uh, that means you can take as many exams as the one session you want for that fee. So you could take the technician exam more than once the same day if you don't pass the first time. Or you can take the technician's exam then go on to the general exam too at the same time if you feel up to it. So you passed, now what? Well, congratulations, you passed. Presuming this was your first exam for the technician's license, your, your question is now what? Your VE will help you fill out two important forms, or they may fill it all out themselves, depends on the people. First is the ARRL Certificate of Successful Completion of Examination. This is basically a receipt confirming you took and passed the exam indicated. This document is important because if there should be a problem issuing your license, rare but happens, you have one year from the date of passing the exam to get it resolved and your license issued before you have to retake the exam. Keep this certificate for your records. Next, you will complete the NCVEC Quick Form 605 application for Amateur Operation Primary Station License. This form is not an official FCC form. Do not mail it to the FCC. This form is from the National Conference of Volunteer Examiner Coordinators, or NCVEC, and is what the VEC uses to enter your information into the FCC system. Note, you may be asked to fill out this form before taking the test instead. After the VEC has processed the form, the FCC will mail your license that contains your official radio call sign that must be used for all communications. If you will also have your FRN, it will also have your FRN if you haven't applied for one already as described above. Your license is valid for 10 years and as long as you renew it in time before expiration or within two years grace after it expires, you never have to retake the exam, so be sure to renew it. So what if you don't pass? One of the nice aspects of the licensing process is that if, you, if, if it's not out to get you, if you don't pass the exam, you can usually retake the exam right away. You'll get a different version of the exam with a new set of questions taken from the pool of questions and you can try again and so on. So when can I get on the air? You only have to wait until your name appears in the FCC's ULS database. This means that the FCC has issued your call sign. You can check the call sign database from the ULS website. Once you see your name and call sign on the database, you can get on the air before actually receiving your license in the mail. The official time frame is up to 15 days from when you take the test for your call sign to appear in the database, but it can be sooner. Mine was only six days. Just remember that being licensed for ham radio doesn't mean being qualified for all aspects. Some things still have to be learned and will come over time, but that's for another article. About your call sign. Your call sign is unique among all ham operators in the world. Each nation has different letters and formats, so learning those will help you quickly identify where someone is located. Ham, hams enjoy contacting people from far away, so there's little desire to be anonymous and anonymity is against FCC rules. For a license issued in the U.S., your call sign will start with an, a K, N, or W, followed by a single digit number and two or three letters. Extra licensees may have a little different format, too detailed to go into here. Call signs are assigned by availability of the letter number combinations in your licensing region. There are 10 regions in the U.S. So the rules for U.S. call signs formats aren't set in stone but are usually true. You can request a vanity, select your own call sign, but there's no guarantee you'll get it if someone else already is using it, either by their request or just random assignment. There is an additional fee for requesting a vanity call sign whether you get it or not and you will need an actual FCC 605 form to file for your license. It's up to you if you want to try for it. Ham radio is more involved in CB, FRS and other fixed channel radio services. 
but with that involvement comes more options and opportunities. The wide variety of equipment and possibilities makes getting your first license a permit to learn more and develop. As a prepper, before undertaking a ham license, decide what you really want to achieve and if ham radio is the best way to do it. But in general, amateur radio is fascinating and very enjoyable. All right. And a little bit longer uh, article than normal. Uh, A lot of technical information. There are, like I said, this was written in 2012, so there's a lot of comments here, uh, people giving information. And there are a lot of links here that, uh, you know, when he refers to a website or, and, and uh, he's, he's giving information, uh, there's tons of uh, links here. So if you are interested in getting your ham uh, radio license, you definitely want to come check out this article because there's just a lot of resources here. Uh, not too long ago, um, when, and I say not too long ago, but earlier in the podcast, um, someone, you know, we, we mentioned uh, ham radio and someone sent me uh, a, a book that has all 394 questions on there. Uh, it's called the Fast Track to Your Technician's Class Ham Radio License. And so you can buy it in Kindle, paperback, or even audio form. So if you're into the audio version, um, you can just listen to the audio version and you'll get all the questions, you know, the, all the questions read and uh, the answers read to you as well. And so if you're studying for that, that might be a good study source. Uh, the Kindle is only seven dollars and forty nine cents. The auto, the auto, Audible book is a little bit more expensive. I think it's like uh, you know eighteen dollars. I'm gonna link to those in the show notes. Um, I mean, it's it's got four point five re- uh, stars and ninety eight or ninety yeah ninety eight customer reviews. So I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. But if you are on a podcast catcher, um, I, I can't do that. So uh, when I you know when I send it to um, when, when I send it to uh, the show notes, when, I, when it goes out, um, I can't include any Amazon links there. So you're going to have to come over to episode 208 to link to Amazon uh, to check out these books if you're interested in it. But uh, I, I really do think that it is a good uh, thing to have. I don't have mine. It's something that I want to do and uh, need, to, uh, need to work on that. I've been talking about that for a little while. Uh, and uh, so I need to really get on that, but I think it would be so valuable because I know that you know if there was a real poop hit the fan situation, that uh, I would want to know uh, I would want to know information if if things were down. And a lot of ham radio guys, like I said before, take it very serious. So they have stuff that might maybe shielded, uh, you know, shielded from like an EMP and things like that, to where they can afterwards they can get back up and get operational. I have a close friend at the church who is a ham radio operator, and I believe he's actually a, a VE, or you know he can give the test or whatever. So he's authorized to do that, and uh, you know he talks about that on a regular basis, where uh, you know if the poop hits the fan, um, they're actually tasked by the government to like you know hey get operationals to get, to be able to. Uh, you know, translate information or um, not translate as in like from a different language, but you know what I'm saying is is uh, to relay. That's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say. Relay information to uh, to others. Uh, so you have some of these guys have big big antennas, you know, in their homes. Like I, I know he does, and he has this great big antenna, and he's got a big setup, and so uh, he can run off of batteries if he needed to, and uh, be able to uh, get information and then send, you know rebroadcast it out. To uh, to those that um, are on lower levels and uh, you know lower power and stuff like that. So good good thing to to, to know and good to have. And um, you know, like I said, information is very very valuable. So that's over at the survivalmom.com. Um, you know, like I said, older article, but I think it's really relevant and good information. So go check that one out. Uh, I know that you're gonna like it. I got a lot of good stuff over there. All right, guys. Well, that's it for episode 208. Appreciate you so much hanging out with me on this episode. Uh, you know, if you get a chance, go go visit the websites that I, you know give me permission to be able to read their articles. Uh, you know, the the benefit of of the value that you get 
from being able to listen. Uh, I want it to be a blessing to them as well. You know, I'm talking about these these websites. I you know I, I want uh, you know to drive a little bit of traffic there. Now we already drive a little. We drive traffic there from Prepper website already. But uh, it'd be even you know greater to be able to send them traffic. The thing is, is that they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily know that if you're coming from your podcast catcher or iTunes or whatever, they wouldn't know that it's coming from the Prepper website podcast. But it is it is just a blessing just to send it that way because we got a lot of people out there doing a lot of great work, putting a lot of great content out there. We we want to support the preparedness community because when we support them, then they are more apt to continue doing what they're doing. You know, there is a reason to continue. Uh, preparing and, and and posting content out there, and if not, you know, if there's just like eventually there is a burnout. I can let, let me tell you, there is burnout, and uh, if there is not some benefit there to keep going, it that's why you have a lot of uh, websites that just fold. So uh, we don't want that. We want the preparedness community to stay strong. The more people that are out there uh, providing content, the better. More people that are experimenting and uh, you know doing you know, doing things and, and providing all that information. I mean that's just really really great for us. So uh, that's uh, I appreciate it when you go out and you support uh, these websites. Hey, if you uh, if you have any feedback, any questions, feel free to come over to episode 208 and drop me a line in the comment section, or you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd uh, love to hear from you. Always love to hear from listeners. And then if you get it, if you haven't yet. Come over to the Facebook group. Come join that. Come be a part of that. And uh, we'd love to have you over there. And uh, then you have the email list as well. All right. So, uh, guys, hope you have a great, great weekend. Hope you get a chance to um, to uh, stay dry, stay warm. And uh, definitely, you know, get some uh, preparedness in there, some more self-reliance in one way or the other. If you're looking for more preparedness content, uh, feel free to come on over to Prepper website. we got tons and tons of of preparedness information for you. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.